All right, um, pick up our study tonight, and then, uh, essentially what what I'm doing in the next few um, the next few sessions is talking about uh, becoming a Christian. <clears throat> so um, I'm gonna um, start with the the doctrine of election tonight. Start with the beginning, huh? Go all the way back and uh, talk a little bit about that. So I want to say a couple things first. One, because as I said, uh, what we're going to be looking at is a little bit more about becoming a Christian. Um, so I was just thinking about that too, you know, and uh, a lot of times even even that today, um, what we what we mean when we talk about being saved, what we when we talk about salvation, is uh, gets muddled up a lot of times. So I was just a couple of things I wanted to mention, and then we'll uh, this will kind of give us some some uh, some background or, or foundation help lay some foundation when we go into talking about uh, these other topics like election and regeneration and <coughs> justification and so forth. But um, first of all, salvation is is uh, not merely um, choosing um, or accepting a particular destination, heaven, for example, um, but it it is submission to a person. So, so, so salvation is not it's not the biblical view of salvation is not just choosing a particular destination. It's it's submission to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Um, so it's so it's. Um, it's, it's a relationship with God based on submission to the Lord Je- Jesus Christ. That's why he's called Lord. Uh, so true disciples obey Jesus. And this is, uh, and I just picked out a few verses here, but this is driven home over and over and over throughout the Scripture, actually. You know, obedience, um, the idea of obedience to the Lord's commands throughout the Scripture. But here, here are a couple examples. Luke 6.46 Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then that saying, which um, great uh, rhetorical question in in and of it all by itself. I mean, it it just uh, gives us something to think about. But but he follows that up with the with the parable of the wise and the foolish builders to to uh, to illustrate the. the fact that obedience is essential. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and not do what I tell you? That's Luke six forty six. Here's another one that that um I go to a lot, and you know, thinking about just in terms of being a believer, and uh, this is you know another description by Jesus of what a true disciple is. This is John eight thirty one. John 8, 31, so, and I'm going to read a few verses here. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's that's key right there. Or King James says you're my disciples indeed. But the idea there is um, that it's real, that it's reality. You're, you're, you're genuine disciple if, Jesus says, you continue in my word. If you, if you abide in my word, 
and, and, and that word can be translated continue or abide, by the way. Um, but if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <clears throat> they answered him, the, Jew, the, the Jews. And I don't know if you, you remember, we, I, I won't go into a great deal of detail here, but you may remember when we were actually going through John and we talked about this, um, Jesus, as it mentions here in verse 31, is speaking these things to the believing Jews, but by the time you get to the end of the chapter, you find out that they're not, uh, they're not believing <laughs> as, as uh, you might think. In other words, they, they were given some kind of assent, a uh, but uh, he winds up calling them children of the devil. So they, they weren't uh, believers in the sense of... of uh, truly following Jesus, and that's what he's beginning, that's what he, here he's beginning to, to expose. So he goes on, or they answered him rather in verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, an amazing statement, because um, they had certainly. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus says if, you, if you're, if you continue in my word, you're, my, you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free, and they say, um, how, how do you, what are you talking about? We'll be made free. We, we're, we're Abraham's seed. We're not enslaved to anybody. In verse 34, Jesus expounds, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So, um, he says, again, for our purpose here, if, if you continue in my word, you're in my, you're, then, then you are truly my disciples. So, that's, that's a, a, an evidence of being a true disciple. So, Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, obey Jesus. Another one's First John two. Uh, this time, the Apostle John writing here, First John two, uh, three, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's pretty plain, isn't it? And that that kind of helps shed some light on what Jesus was saying. You know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and you don't do what I say? And John is here giving the answer because they're, they're liars um, and the truth is not in them. But John goes on, verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever said, in other words, by, by the, um, we're characterized by obedience. We, we keep His commandments. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. So that's, that's following Christ, uh, doing, uh, living in submission to Him and, uh, and, and following Him in the sense of uh, mimicking Him, walking as He walked. So, Salvation is not merely choosing um, a destination. And the reason I, I, I bring it out that way is because that's a lot of times is the way it gets offered. You know, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? 
and everybody wants to go to heaven, you know, raise your hand, that kind of thing. Uh, and sometimes that type of thing actually gets said. But that's, that's not salvation. Salvation is about submission to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And here's a, a second thing, just another way that I like to um, to express this, what I th- believe to be the biblical view. Salvation is reconciliation with God. That's salvation, right? So again, it's not just about, okay, <clears throat> would you rather go to heaven or would you rather go to hell? Well... The problem is we are alienated from God. And so when the Bible talks about salvation, it's talking about being reconciled to God. It's not, it's not just, you know, where would you like to retire? It's you, you're, you're, you're alienated from God. You're, um, you're going to perish. <laughs> um, so submit to Christ. Be reconciled to God. And that's how... Paul preached, in fact, he said that we, we you know, we have the, the ministry of reconciliation. That's what God has given us, and we've been talking about this a lot as we're moving through the book of Acts, um, just wording it a little differently, but uh, we, I've, I've been pointing at the, the, back to the Great Commission a lot. Jesus said that we're to make disciples of all nations. Well, that's at, reconciliation is at the heart of that. In other words, what, what we are trying to do, what we are compelling people to do is to be reconciled to God, reconciled to God, um, because that, that's the whole issue. We, we have been separated um, by sin uh, at the fall, and uh, we're in need of reconciliation. So when we think about biblical salvation, um, that is reconciliation to God. It's a restoration of a broken relationship. So, uh, you, so it's not just, you know, I'll take heaven <laughs> or something like that. It's, it's a relationship, re- relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's true relationship there. That's why terms like uh, son is used so often or adopt terms like adoption, you know, to describe uh, salvation because we, we are actually in a, uh, a loving relationship with with God because of what Christ has done in our behalf that we talked about <clears throat> last time. So those are just some things to to uh, to describe you know, what what we're talking about when we talk about biblical salvation. Um, it is submission to a person. That person is Jesus Christ, and it is reconciliation with God through Christ. That's what being a, a Christian is: obeying Jesus, being reconciled to God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ through faith in Christ and His atoning work. All right, so I said we're, we're going to um, be, be looking at some things um, about becoming a Christian and and, uh, and, and then what fault, you know, not just uh, that event, but, but what it means to become a Christian, what it means from there on. So um, <clears throat> the plan is uh, we'll look at a few things, and um, I mentioned a moment ago, for example, uh, election, regeneration, justification, sanctification, um, conversion, which I overlooked just a second ago. But um, I want to start with the doctrine of election tonight. What is the doctrine of election? Well, in a nutshell, uh, what, what we're talking about when we refer to the, the biblical doctrine of election is the fact that God chose us to 
um, to well, to save us, what we were just talking about, to be to reconcile to Himself. Um, so, let me, just for example, I want to look at uh, several passages, but look at Acts thirteen. <clears throat> and this will kind of get us started here. But Acts thirteen. Verse 48. <clears throat> Paul, at, um, and I believe this is at Antioch, Pisidian Antioch. And um, verse 48, I'll just start there because we're not, not going to read the whole. Uh, account anyway. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, <clears throat> they began rejoicing because, um, you look back at verse 47, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's a, a quote from Isaiah. And so verse 48 says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. All right? So notice, notice how that's worded. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Well, who appointed them to eternal life? When, when did that appointment take place? So those are some questions that arise. But we see, see clearly here that Luke, and it's, in, it's, it's kind of amazing, really, that Luke just kind of, in his account here, just kind of says that in passing without really giving ex- explanation. <laughs> and he's, I mean, it's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a problem with it, and, and obviously he thinks that his, his uh, readers, I mean, they understand this idea um, of election or being appointed by God to eternal life. So anyway, that, that's, that's a, a, a strong um, passage uh, in, in my estimation re- regarding this doctrine. But, but like I said, it doesn't answer some questions for us. So let's go, for example, to, um, let's go to Ephesians 1. It does tell us that we're appointed, right? Or at least those were. <clears throat> as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. All right, another great passage here, Ephesians 1. I'm going to read a few verses here, so I'm going to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, and, and the in Him there refers to Christ. Uh, in other words, God chose us in Christ. So even as He chose us, that is, God chose us, He chose us in Christ, in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as Son. So now you've got, um, first of all, verse 4, He chose us. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So, so Paul is saying it was God's choosing. And when did it take place? Before the foundation of the world. So before he framed the world, and and that's just mind-boggling. If you you know if you go to uh, think on that for a while, um, before God created, before He made anything, He already picked you out. Paul is saying He chose He chose us, picked us out, believers. He chose us in Christ. Always, by the way, always related to Christ. I mean, there's, and there's, no, there's no salvation, there's no choosing, there's no election, no predestination outside of Christ. It's always, just as we were talking about a minute ago, salvation is reconciliation to God through faith in Christ, in Jesus, because of the atoning work accomplished by Him. So, so there's no... Um, I mean, my understanding is from the Scripture, there, there is no reconciliation with God apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So salvation is always connected to Jesus. He's the one that ac- accomplishes uh, our salvation. Um, so we're, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us. And I know I was, um, depending on what version you're reading, some, some versions like the, the King James and the uh, uh, American Standard Version put the in love on the end of the first sentence. In other words, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Great statement. Um, uh, some other translations, like the one I'm reading from, ESV, put it uh, as the... Um, Beginning of the next sentence, in love He predestined us. Also a great statement. <laughs> and uh, there's you know, really no way to know for sure which one is, is correct. But uh, uh, either way, it's good, good stuff. I was, you know, was talking with somebody today. As a matter of fact, a lot, a lot of the ancient manuscripts, what they did, uh, in first place, they didn't have spaces between the, between the words. And, and some of them, at least, they wrote in all capital Letters, so you have all capitals, no spaces, and no punctuation. So um, you know the translators uh, have to have to determine where to put the periods and the commas, and and uh, in cases like this, um, it, does that little phrase "in love" go at the end of the one sentence or at the beginning of the next? You know those those decisions have to be made in translation. <clears throat> so in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ. Notice that again. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. So, verse 4 says, He chose us. It was was God's choosing. chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's when He did it. Before, you know, we commonly say, before, before time, you know, before He created, before He framed the worlds. And... Um, how did this choice come about? Or what's it based on? 
Um, well, he says here, verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. Will. I mean, I mean you, you notice he doesn't say, he chose us in Christ before, you know, before the foundation of the world um, according to how he saw that we would act. <laughs> he didn't say that. You know, that's kind of, kind of what you'd expect. I mean, you know, just from a human perspective, you'd kind of expect something like that. But no, he just says, according to the purpose of his will. That is, of God's will. To the praise of his glorious grace. So, <laughs> he did it according to his own will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So, he did, he did it according to his own will and for his own glory. To to um, magnify His grace. I like the way uh, um, John Piper says it. Uh, God just decided to go public with His glory. <laughs> so, so He created and determ- he determined to create and then to redeem um, a people from uh, among those He created. So He just went public with His glory. So... Um, he did it to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And by the way, that Beloved is also referring to Christ. Um, that's Jesus. In fact, again, you're, if you look at... It may differ in different versions, but it's probably capitalized in uh, capital B for Beloved. And that's because it's talking about Jesus. So He blessed us in the beloved, that is in Christ. In Him, verse 7, again, Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and might, making known to us the mystery of His will. So, Verse 4, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That is, God chose us. Verse um, 5, predestined. I'm, I hadn't said much about that one yet. I'll come back to that. But he, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In other words, it was just based on His own uh, good pleasure and will. For His glory, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the blood. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Um, let me get back down to verse 9. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will. So He chose us. He, he predestined us. Um, he, um, he did it according to His own purpose and will. And He made known to us his will. I think that, again, is, is a way of uh, Paul just putting it all on God, saying it's, it's, it's all, God's doing it. God did it. He, he's the one who chose us. He's the one who predestined us. He's the one who made known His will to us. Paul, Paul is just uh, again and again and again crediting God for, uh, for the whole work of salvation. He lavished upon us in all wisdom... Uh, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, <clears throat> making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite 
all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And he expounds on that more in chapter 2. But he's saying this, this is God's purpose and plan to unite all things in the person of Jesus Christ. So as part of that whole plan to, to unite all things in, in the person of Jesus Christ, he chose us in him and predestined us to adoption um, as sons through him, through Jesus Christ. And it's uh, and has uh, blessed us in Him, in the Beloved. And we have redemption through His blood, that is the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses, uh, and so forth. Um, but it, but it, and, and he, he made this mystery, Paul calls it, known to us. So He chose us, He predestined us to adoption, and He made known this mystery to us, and verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Again, notice the in Him. That's Jesus. It's always related to Jesus. It's all, salvation is always related to Jesus. It's, it's through Him. In Him, through Him, by Him, for Him. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In other words, uh, the idea there is His, his own will. Um, he works all things according to the counsel of His will. God does that. All right, so twice here, and I mentioned the, the others, uh, a lot of the other terms quite a bit, but twice here in verse 5 and verse 11, Paul uses... Um, the Greek term that is, that is translated here, predestined, predestined. So even the term, a lot of times when we talk about, um, sometimes we, we, we talk about doctrines a lot of times, and a lot of times the, the, the label we're putting on it may not be found in Scripture. It just communicates a scriptural concept. But this is one of those cases where, you know, when we talk about predestination, um, the very term is used in Scripture. Um, oh, give me just a second here. And Paul is emphatic that it is all the work of God in Christ. In Christ. So in verse 5 and in verse 11... Um, Paul uses the term um, prohorizo there. Um, when you when you put uh, when we when we put the prefix pre on a word, um, what is like preheat? You know, you're going to preheat the oven 300 degrees. We put the prefix pre, and it's even on the word prefix. <laughs> we put the word prefix on a word. What does that mean? Before, right? Just to do it before. Or, you know, we'd say beforehand or something of that sort. Um, so preheat is the idea. You, you get the oven heated before um, you actually need You know, if it's supposed to be 400 degrees, you want to preheat so that when you go to put the turkey in there or whatever it is, um, it's already at the 400 degrees that's required. So you've got to do it beforehand. Well, 
that's the way um, this, uh, this Greek prefix, pro, is the same, it, it works the same way. So the, the term that Paul uses here, pro, pro oriso, um, the second part of that word is where we get our term horizon. And uh, the, the way R.F. Gates used to describe it, it was this way. It means it, it, the term horizon is like to mark out. And so, so it, you know, like you, like you mark out a, a line. So it means to mark out beforehand, to before mark out. So that's what Paul is describing here. He, he marked out before us, that is, he marked us out beforehand for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been before marked out according to the purpose of him who works all things. Well, before what? Well, um, verse 4 gives us a... a a good clue about that, doesn't it? Because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So he, he, he marked us out. He predestined us beforehand, meaning before we existed. Before we were on the scene. Sometimes we say, uh, I mean, about ourselves, you know, I wasn't even thought of then. Well, yeah, you were. <laughs> Yeah, you were. Um, maybe your parents hadn't thought of you, <laughs> you know, yet. But uh, but but God had. God had. Yes, ma'am. <coughs> sure. Yeah, he knows. He knows everything about us. So. Absolutely. He he. Cyrus was a pagan king, and God called Cyrus by name, um, but before before he was ever born, and called him his servant, and he was going <laughs> to. That's that's right. So in reality, it's kind of narrowed down, isn't it? Even though. To us, it looks like it's wide open. Well, you know, and, and you get over, and Revelation says, talks about us having a new name, so I don't know what God's, how He designates us, you know. He named the stars, and I don't know what He calls them. Um, but, but yeah, but whatever, even, even if that's something else, he knows, he knows our human names as well and has known them from all eternity. So, yeah, he knows everything about us. Amen. <laughs> truly amazing, that's for sure. All right, let's go to another passage here. Romans 8. Romans 8. We'll start in verse 28. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> amazing is a good word for it. Verse 28. These, <clears throat> these two are certainly well-known verses. 
Okay. <clears throat> All right. Verse 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called. <clears throat> That's an important, uh, important word right there. For those who are called according to His purpose. And you see that phrase again. So, He called us, whatever that means at this point. We'll come back to that. But whatever that means, He called us according to His purpose. So you see the similar language, uh, similar to what we were looking at over in, in Ephesians. For, verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, there's the, there's the word predestined again, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now, let me go back to verse... Uh, 29 here. And this is, incidentally, um, kind of gives us the logical, what's been called the order of salvation, logical order of salvation. And it's often, this, this passage, you, you, this may be something you want to remember if you don't already think of it this way, but it's often referred to as the golden chain because, <clears throat> the golden chain, because it's like links in a chain. Paul is laying out, <laughs> laying out here this order and... Um, and I think uh, uh, that you know these things really do follow just the way that he's got them, got them here. In other words, it's not just he's not he's not just mentioning things out of sequence. I think the sequence is is important here as well. All right, so he says, verse twenty nine. For those he he already mentioned that we were called in verse twenty eight. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. For those, verse 29, for those whom He foreknew. <clears throat> okay. Um, there's another important word. Those whom He foreknew. <clears throat> pro egno. It's, it's, uh, again, it's the prefix pro, so um, it means beforehand. And, and then the... Um, the, the, the rest of that word means, uh, egno, this, the second half, means to know. Gnosis is where we get our, um, our term like, like, uh, like Gnostic or, or, or you, you think of a, a compound word like um, diagnostic. The, the Greek prefix dia through or preposition through and then Gnostic is, is knowledge. So when a, when a doctor makes a diagnosis, uh, uh, he's, 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 uh, he's um, 
trying to give a good explanation of what's going on, you know, a thorough knowledge, a through knowledge of what's going on with you. Our, our prognosis is what? What's going to happen? That's the word that we've got here. Prognosis is just the English version of it, the, the, the anglicized version of it. So, so if you say, well, doctor, um, you know, if, if, uh, if I don't have the surgery that you recommend, what's going to happen? And he gives a prognosis, right? He's telling, he tells you beforehand what's going to happen. So in other words, it's before or beforehand knowledge. Prognosis. Prognosis. Beforehand knowledge. That's the word that Paul uses here in verse 29. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's the, uh, it's the same word, or the same word group, like in verse 28, for example, um, is a, re- a related word um, when he says, for we know, right? For we know all things work together for good. And that's actually a different a different form, but it's a it's a related um, like a synonym. We know that all things work together for good. Now here he says, verse twenty nine, um, those whom he that is God foreknew knew beforehand. He also predestined. There's that word proheriso again. So those who he he knew beforehand, he also marked out beforehand. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All right. Um, some look at this passage and then also over in Peter, where Peter refers to the church as elect according to the foreknowledge. Same word that's used here. Elect, chosen. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Some look at these verses and they say, okay, what God did, He elected or He predestined, like Paul says here, based on His foreknowledge. That's what Paul says, right? Those whom He foreknew, He predestined. And so they say, well, what that means is that God, because He can see the future, he, which He certainly can, <clears throat> they say what that means is that God looked down through time and saw you know, who would um, receive Christ and who would not, you know, something along those lines. And, and so therefore, based on that, in other words, he, he saw that you were going to choose Christ, and therefore, based on that, He predestined you to adoption, or to be, here it says, to be conformed to the image of the Son. So based on your, your, the fact that you're going to choose Christ down there somewhere, God, God predestined you um, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Well, let me suggest this, and there's some problems with that. And I, I think the, in fact, I think the language... Paul's using here is a lot stronger than that. Um, and let me give you a couple things here. One, and let me go back to this word foreknew. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. 
foreknew, foreknowledge, beforehand knowledge. All right, there's a real common use in Scripture of this word knowledge, and this, this is true in Hebrew and in the Greek. Different words, of course. In the Hebrews, the Greek in the Hebrew it's the word uh, uh, yada or yada. I don't know how it's pronounced, but uh, it looks like you know you hear people say yada yada yada. And so that's it. <laughs> Speaking Hebrew, but uh, so it but it's used in very similar way, which makes sense when you think about these Jews writing the New Testament, right? It just makes sense that they would use Hebraisms. In other words, that that it shouldn't really shock us that Paul would talk like a Jew, because <laughs> because that's what he was. <clears throat> so it makes sense. A real common use for the word "know" or, or for knowledge uh, is to indicate an intimate knowledge, to know intimately. So, for example. Um, Adam and Eve in Genesis. Adam knew his wife Eve and she bore a son. Now, a son, a birth doesn't happen out of mere cognizance. You know, in other words, Adam was aware of his wife and she bore a son. No, what Moses is saying there is that um, Adam had intimate relation with his wife, and out of that intimate relation, um, she she became she conceived and she bore a son. And the word knowledge is is commonly used like that throughout the scripture. Um, and I would say that it's similar here. In other words, when Paul talks about God knowing us beforehand, he means that he loved us, that he set his love on us, just like we just read about in Ephesians 1. He means that he had an intimate knowledge of us, like Pam was just referring to a moment ago. He knew everything about us. Think about this. <clears throat> Jesus said... Um, that many, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, At that day many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, now, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? Now, we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name and so forth. And Jesus said, I will say to them, and he's talking about hypocrites, you know, those who, who didn't really, uh, really do the will of the Father, like, like we were talking about earlier. They, they weren't obeying um, Christ. They were professing Christ, but they weren't obeying Christ. So they're hypocrites. And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me, I never, what? Knew you. I never knew you. Now what in the world is Jesus talking about there? He, he wasn't aware of them? Is that his way of saying, we never met? You know, I didn't know, I didn't know you existed. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about intimate knowledge. In other words, there was no relationship there. Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. That's the same, and that is Greek, that's the New Testament. So that's the same use as what I'm, what I'm suggesting here that, that Paul has in view. 
um, that God foreknew. That is, He knew us in an intimate way. He chose us, as He says in Ephesians. He lavished His love on us. He did that beforehand. He foreknew. And those whom He foreknew, that is, those whom He set His love on beforehand, those whom He knew intimately beforehand, those whom he will, of whom He will not say, I never knew you. No, it's just the opposite. He's saying, I foreknew you. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined. Now we're getting to the links of the chain. He foreknew. And then the second link, you know, this is the golden chain. The second link, He predestined. So those whom He knew beforehand and, uh, and, uh, and set His love on beforehand, He before marked out. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And here we go with the chain in verse 30. And those whom He predestined. So we already have the first two links. He foreknew and He predestined. And, he goes on, verse 30, those whom He predestined, He also called. So now you've got a a divine calling. He, He foreknew, He predestined, and He called. Now, this is the other problem. Um, with uh, with trying to take uh, the view, another problem with trying to take the view that okay, foreknowledge must mean he he just looked down through time and saw. And I and I, I, I honestly I, I I never heard um, best I recall I've never heard this brought out before. What I'm fixing to tell you right here, and uh, today I was listening to uh, uh, R.C. Sproul, <laughs> and and he was talking about this. And, uh, and, and he said what I'm about to say here, and it just made sense. It was one of those things like, why, why, hadn't, I, why hadn't I seen that before? Um, um, if, you, if you think about the order here, the sequence, he foreknew, he predestined, he called. All right? Those, those who want to... to um, to deny um, uh, an Augustinian view of predestination and want to want to make the final determiner our decision. They say, well, God just when when it said when Paul says he foreknew, he he just means he he looked down through time and saw. <clears throat> but it's saying here that he foreknew before he gave the call. So so how could they how could they believe without the call? You know what I'm saying? It's those whom He foreknew that He predestined and those whom He predestined that He called. So, the the calling has to be there and the right response to the call has to be there. We're, we're, We're not saved apart from faith. That comes through the calling. I mean, He's giving the call, He's giving the faith. So he he prede- he, he um, foreknew those whom he foreknew he predestined those whom he predestined he called 
Again, it's Him doing it. And those whom He called, He also justified. And let me say this too. And justified, of course, means it's the idea, and I want to talk about that in more detail later, but it's the idea of being declared not guilty. It's a judicial uh, act. God declaring us not guilty. Um, um, and let me let me suggest this too. Uh, we often take this for granted, and I, I I do want I do think this is correct. I just want to point it out. Paul doesn't say that uh, explicitly. I mean, it, does, it doesn't say explicitly here that everyone he foreknew he predestined, and everyone he predestined. Um, he he called, but I but I'm, that's the idea here. That's the idea here, and and you, we could go to other passages to bear that out. You know, for example, John six, where Jesus seems to make that more than plain. All that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will raise him up at the last day. I mean, in other words, he's from calling to glorification. Jesus is saying, God, the Father is going to get get us all the way through. So, um, so that's why I want to point that out, because I do think that is, that is the idea here. Everyone he foreknew, everyone he set his love on before the foundation of the world, everyone he, he, he knew intimately beforehand, before the foundation of the world, he marked out. That is, he before marked out. He, he predestined, marked out to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is, all those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And all those whom He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, He called, verse 30. And that, again, we'll talk more about that later, but that, that invo- that's an internal calling and it involves the, uh, the, the gift of faith. And that's what I was getting at a moment ago. God, God has to give that the only way there can be a right response to the call is, is uh, God giving it. And so it's everyone he, he called, uh, he goes on to say, he also justified, declared not guilty by God. And those whom he justified, in other words, all, again, I think he's saying all those, everyone whom he justified, he also glorified. So from call, there you've got the whole process of salvation from calling before the found, or from uh, um, foreknowledge before the foundation of the world all the way through to glorification at the last day. And as I said, if you, you, take a, you do a close examination of Jesus' words in John 6, you'll see, you'll see that it's, he, he's not going to lose any. He's not going to lose any. He gets everybody from start to finish that he calls, that he determines to save. Um, well, that is the end, absolutely. But I think he, I think he may have in view here uh, what we call sanctification. So, in other words, it's what's going on now. In fact, I was going to bring that question up because you know you think the, you would think the golden chain would include sanctification, right? <clears throat> Foreknew, predestined, called, 
justified, sanctified, glorified. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute, Paul left out sanctification. That ought to be in the golden chain. But I don't think he left it out. I think that's what, that, what that's referring to there. He, he, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is the sanctification process while we're living this life. And then glorification, because none of us are going to get there, you know, fully. Um, uh, in other words, we're not going to become um, uh, complete in this world. So glorification is, the, is yes, the end when, when Christ returns and does in an instant what, you know, what, what has not been accomplished up to that point. You know, even the Apostle Paul said he hadn't arrived, so... Uh, pretty sure I hadn't either. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And what does that do to grace? Very good, yeah. That's very helpful. Amen. Yeah, and you, I mean, I know you've heard plenty of them, but you, you think about some of the explanations that you hear to try to make that work. And it don't. close with this last part here because um, you may be saying, well, what do we say to these things? I mean, this, this, that's, that, that's a lot. 
you know, it's a lot to think about, God's sovereignty, God's, you know, doing these things, uh, determining these things before the foundation of the world and so forth. And so what then do we say? Well, uh, that comes up in verse 31. Look at this. What, this is exactly where Paul goes. What then shall we say to these things? Here's what we should say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we should say to these things. (laughs) What was the last part? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and thank God He's interceding for us. Amen. Yeah, and I think with this, with the same design um, that, that He spoke about with Peter, He said, Peter, um, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that your faith does not fail. Now, I don't, I don't think he's meaning, I'm, I'm praying, hoping that your faith doesn't fail. No, he's giving the basis for why Peter's faith does not fail or will not fail. I, because I prayed for you, Jesus said. I prayed for you in order that your faith does not fail. And I, I think that's the same thing going on here. It's what Paul's saying. <laughs> he, he's interceding for us. So, who can snatch us out of his hand then? He justifies who can condemn us. Nobody. He's for us. Who can be against us? Meaning, you know, who's, who's going who's gonna to overcome God? Who's going to conquer Him in order to take us away or take us down or whatever? Nobody. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll, we'll dismiss. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank You for your word and for these lord these precious truths father we we pray help us to meditate on these things and consider the great grace that you've extended to us and lord consider the love as as the uh the author uh, said here is love that you have lavished upon us and lord um we're just thankful thankful for your your power your sovereignty your love, your grace, your mercy. And Father, we, um, 
do want to, uh, as we close tonight and pray, we do want to remember uh, Tiffany and all of the, all of the team uh, down in Peru. And Lord, uh, again, looking to you, asking that you change hearts. Lord, uh, grant to, to Tiffany and all of the others who are serving, grant them physical strength to serve, we pray, and, and wisdom, those, those who, are, who are preaching the word, and, and, uh, and, and well, all of them will be loving on people. Father, we pray, give them uh, wisdom in, in all of those things, and words in season. Be glorified in all of it, we pray, and we ask you to save souls. May it all be for your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.